Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, Elon Musk just can't help himself in the upcoming IPO battle between Uber and Lyft. But first, the growing trade crisis between the U.S. and China, which is actually now playing out in Canada. So you'll probably remember that President Trump and Chinese President Xi Jinping had dinner a little over a week ago in Buenos Aires in order to ease trade tensions and maybe even lay the groundwork for a possible deal. But at about the same time, a lot of that progress was seemingly blown up as Canadian authorities arrested the chief financial officer of Huawei on allegations that she basically caused several banks to unwittingly violate sanctions on Iran. So four big things to know. First, this is not your run of the mill CFO. She's Meng Wanzhou and is the daughter of Huawei's founder. So the comp here might be if Jeff Bezos's daughter got arrested in China. But that's not only if Bezos is CEO of Amazon. What if he's also a national hero tight with the White House? Oh, and let's throw in that Chinese legislators would have regularly referred to Amazon as a national security threat. So, yeah, she's a pretty big deal. Second, the arrest happened in Canada, but it's not really about them. Yeah, she was in a Vancouver courtroom last Friday for a bail hearing, which will extend in today. But the end game is whether or not she's extradited to the U.S. to stand trial for fraud. Third, White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow told Fox News Sunday that President Trump didn't know about the arrest until well after it occurred and the dinner plates had already been cleared. So per usual, top-notch executive branch communication going on. And finally, fourth, a lot of U.S. companies are very freaked out. Cisco, for example, has halted all non-essential personnel from traveling to China for the time being. The bottom line, this is like throwing a bowl of pudding at what was already a very messy situation. We'll be joined in 15 seconds by Axios contributor Bill Bishop, who is the writer of the Sinocism newsletter. But first, this. Every day, about 20 million questions are answered on SurveyMonkey. And those answers help people around the world be better at their jobs, whether they want to improve their customer experience, recruit and retain a stellar workforce, or learn which ideas, products, or campaigns will be a winner. Find out why 98% of the Fortune 500 trust SurveyMonkey. Visit surveymonkey.com slash prorata today. We're joined now by Bill Bishop, who writes the Friday Axios China newsletter. And Bill, let's start with the fears of retaliation here in the U.S. And you've got these companies that are freaked out that their executives are going to show up in Beijing or elsewhere in China and get arrested in kind of a tit for tat. From your perspective, legitimate fear? I don't think it can be ruled out, but I think it's a very low probability event. I mean, it would be very non-constructive for China to do that right now. Not only are they still talking to the U.S. on the trade deal, they also are trying to tell the rest of the world that China is open for business, that they're going to reform even more, open up even more. It's a great environment for foreign businesses. So if they were to go and just pick off an executive to prove the point or to do tit for tat, I think that would blow up a lot of the propaganda they're pushing around the world. Huawei isn't just a typical company or even a typical big tech company. There's these concerns. You keep hearing it in Congress about national security fears vis-a-vis 5G networking, et cetera. Can you just lay out and explain a little bit to listeners why Huawei is so important and kind of such a, a central block in kind of the trade negotiations and the relationship between these two countries? Huawei is arguably China's most successful technology company, certainly its most successful telecom company. Expanded quite aggressively and successfully globally. Its technology, from what I understand, is pretty good, although it still has some heavy reliance on U.S. technology. And as, I guess, with 5G, as the network starts being built out, the way the network is structured, there's a lot more possibility, I guess, the, the security folks fear possibility that the Huawei equipment could be used to 
basically for nefarious purposes. And I mean, let's be honest, right? I mean, U.S. tech companies, we learned from Snowden, from other revelations, have at times worked with the U.S. government or been hacked by the U.S. government. Clearly, one of the fears the U.S. government has is the fact that the U.S. government knows better than anybody else how to do this. And so the assumption would be that the Chinese government and the Communist Party would do it as well. I think that is a fair assumption. I also think there's no question that the Huawei, if the Chinese government told Huawei they had to do something, they would do it. And in fact, there's a national security law that came out, I think, last year, which makes it very clear that it's the obligation of companies and citizens, KRC companies and citizens, to support intelligence organs if requested. The conventional wisdom, or maybe kind of some of the narrative which has come out of this, particularly vis-a-vis the timing of the arrest, is that she's being used almost as a pawn, a pawn in the trade negotiations. Do you buy that? And, and as a piece of that, what is the impact from your perspective of her arrest on the trade negotiations, assuming that she's not released and, and sent back to China, which is what China wants, but which neither Canada nor the U.S. seem terribly interested in doing? So I don't believe that she's intentionally being used as a pawn. I, I do think that there are separate tracks from the perspective of the trade negotiations, as the administration's proxies have been saying the last few days. Huawei has been a focus for the U.S. government for many years. The investigation around Iran sanctions violations has been ongoing. I think we had a similar case with ZTE earlier this year, and Huawei popped up in some of those documents. This indictment from Mongwanzhou was issued in August, I believe. And you know, my understanding was, frankly, that the timing of her detention on at the basically the, you know the same day as the the Xi Trump meeting in Buenos Aires was really just a detention of opportunity because she popped up on the radar as being she was going to be transiting through a friendly U.S. country, and so the U.S. was able to you know reach out to Canadians. Now, I mean, the Canadians have a have a real legal process. They're not U.S. patsies. They would not have detained her if they didn't think the U.S. had enough evidence. Ultimately, at least so far, the Chinese are upset. Obviously, they're threatening Canada more than they're threatening the U.S. Canada is a smaller country, but they're also making clear that they, for so far at least, they want to separate out the trade from this legal issue and they want the trade talks to continue so far. I certainly think there's a risk that other shoes are going to drop around Huawei and other Chinese technology companies. What does that mean? What we've seen about Huawei in this Meng Wanzhou arrest or detention, it's really specifically around bank fraud. There, you remember Axios like Jonathan Swan a few months ago broke the story of this draft circulating the National Security Council about nationalizing the 5G network. I think there's been a lot of efforts and work done on ways to really push Huawei out of most the networks in any of American ally countries. And so I think that there may be other moves. Again, I just don't think this is one, the, the only move against Huawei. And so if other stuff starts happening that are maybe more damaging to the company itself, then the Chinese position on the trade talks and, and ring fence or, or running the trade talks as a separate track, then I think that position may shift. When you say that position may shift, you mean the, the tracks might merge, they, they might come together. It might get to be so difficult or so big that the Chinese can no longer kind of compartmentalized. Bill, I know you're not a lawyer, but I'm going to ask anyway. You, you heard, obviously, a lot of the stuff that happened in the Vancouver courtroom on Friday. That bail hearing continues until today. From your perspective, is there any chance that you see her getting bail and, and hopping a plane back to China? I understand that her, her defense lawyers say that wouldn't happen, but that would happen. Yeah, I think if she gets bail, that's certainly a risk. The question, again, I don't know how the Canadian judge will view it. I do think that whatever happens, whether she doesn't get bail or if she does, if she contests extradition, this could be going on for many months or longer, which again, I think is one of the reasons why the Chinese want to compartmentalize because there is, it does not appear that there's any quick solution here unless the Canadians just say this is all fake and you're free to go. 
But again, I really don't think the Canadians would have even taken on this case if they didn't believe that there was the U.S. had at least presented some convincing evidence. Thank you so much, Bill Bishop, writer of the Axios China newsletter, which you can get at signup.axios.com. My final two right after this. Did you know that 57% of customers say they'll permanently stop using a product or service after just one bad experience? And that costs about five times as much to acquire a new customer versus keeping an existing one? SurveyMonkey can help you get valuable feedback from your customers before they walk out the door. To learn more, visit surveymonkey.com slash prorata today. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Elon Musk giving another head-scratching interview, this time to 60 Minutes. Remember, it was just two months ago that Musk and Tesla settled with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission after he tweeted that he had, quote, funding secured for a takeover of the company, even though he didn't. But it seems that the settlement still doesn't sit well with Musk. I want to be clear. I do not respect the SEC. I do not respect them. But, but you're abiding by the settlement, aren't you? Because I respect the justice system. The bottom line, Tesla still has a couple weeks to finalize the compliance procedures that came as part of the settlements, including a clause that requires pre-approval of any Musk tweets that are potentially material in nature. But it sounds like Musk only plans to comply with the letter of the agreements and not their spirit. Finally, both Lyft and Uber last week filed confidential IPO papers, which means that they might be able to go public late in the first quarter of 2019. Now, there's been lots of reporting on how the two companies are racing each other to be first, even though all that first-to-market valuation stuff will actually get played out after just a couple weeks of trading. So the real reason they each want to go first? It's basically because the two companies really, really really dislike each other. And going first would be a fun way to stick it to the other. Yeah, sure, it's petty, but that doesn't mean it's not real. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Gracia and Tim Shovers, have a great national Dewey Decimal System Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.